to episode 116 of Real Life Ghost Stories. How you do? To kick things off this week, we need to thank our newest Patreon subscribers. We would like to thank Rachel Young. Joe Luckin. Suzanne Stephanie Deacon. Alison Vaughan. Kimberly V. Bridget Carol Kitson. Custard Ramon. <laughs> Antonia Johnson. Rebecca Appleby. Ashley Sugar. Amber Hans Bouchong. Eric Ezell. Katie. Shay Johnson. Sarah Harvey. Julie Ratter. Catherine. Devin Ryder. Tina Claycom. Pamela Baldwin. Thank you so much for being our Patreon subscribers. We appreciate you every day. We sure do. Thank you so much. We also have a birthday this week. And this week we'd like to say happy birthday to Anne Nezovich. Happy birthday, Anne. And also happy birthday to Augustus Sunderguts. Ah, yes. It was his birthday <laughs> during the week, wasn't it? Yeah. And our film review this week. Our film review is Last Shift. Last Shift was released in 2014. It has 5.8 out of 10 on IMDb and 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Would you like a synopsis? 100%. It's likely that it has been reviewed by a tiny handful of people on Rotten Uh Tomatoes, which is why it ended up with 100%. Okay. After rookie cop Jessica Lauren is assigned the last shift at a transitioning police station, she must wait for a hazardous materials crew to pick up biomedical evidence. However, the shift turns into a living nightmare. I would like to say that we've all had a shift that's turned into a living nightmare. Yes, definitely. Way all my Irish listeners will enjoy that. Oh, I was I was taking you very literally, but I forgot shift has another meaning in other countries. Shift in Ireland means a kiss, by the way, just FYI. It's nothing more sinister than that. So what were your thoughts on this film? Uh, I liked it because it was maybe slightly different. It was obviously set in one location, which made it probably more likely to be able to be filmed. Because it doesn't cost a lot in terms of budget. Sorry, I need to give some explanation there. Yeah, that made no sense. I was like, uh, what does that mean? So you mean it's... It's low budget, so they kept the film into one destination. Yeah, it's low budget, but it's not—it's it's not low budget in that it's terrible. I thought it was—I thought it was quite reasonable. Really, had some good sort of fear elements to it. The story was a little bit predictable, like in in terms of the outcome. But yeah, it was alright. I didn't mind it. I don't know if I liked this film. Interestingly. It's a film that I'd never heard of until Matt from Full Movie Podcast said, I recommend that you watch this film. And I don't know how I felt about it. There were moments that were really scary. Mm. There were moments where I was expecting a big old jump scare or there was really creepy tension. You know, this police officer is really dragged through it that night. But I still don't know if I liked it. I don't know what it was about it that I just wasn't... I'm not enamoured with it. I, was, I don't know. I'm a bit thick, I think, because I, I got a little bit confused at the end. I don't know if you are thick. I don't know if it was a very well told story. <laughs> I, like, so, I like, like the concept of it. Sorry, I keep interrupting you. I'm actually so rude. I think the the whole concept of it is new and refreshing. You've got, she's in this police station on the anniversary of the death of some cult members who have violently murdered women when they were discovered which is a very dark opening to a story, right? And then obviously things start happening. It's the year it's the year anniversary, so on and so forth. The police officer has connections to the the 
busting of the cult as it were I just don't know if they told the story very well I think my problem was if it had is that it just it was too blurry between what was real and what was paranormal and I like it when you're not sure but this was beyond that I found that there's sometimes I'm still not entirely sure what characters were real and what weren't because I feel like there was some actual real cult members coming back to the police station like actual ones and then there was also some paranormal ones and then there was the cult members themselves that were ghosts and it was it was very confusing yeah and I think there's a line between ambiguity and just being confusing and ambiguity can be really powerful in a horror film where you question oh my gosh is this real or is she losing her mind I just don't know how I felt I just found it I, it lacked something for me and I don't know what that was. And I know lots of people were really positive and loved this film and said it was the best kind of recent horror film. But I don't know, I just didn't feel it. I'm positive on it. I did enjoy it. I just got very confused. And it may just be because I, and I was attentive. I just, just think I got very confused by what was reality. And I'm also a little bit disappointed we didn't really get an explanation as to why they'd written Sal on the ceiling. Yeah, so there's a, there's this whole pig connection to the cult members and also to the police officers like they refer to the police officers as pigs but no more than that like and then but it seems you get the impression that this idea of pigs and sows is going to be like an enormous factor in the story and then it just whittles off it was like they just didn't tie the threads together properly is that why it was I just I don't know I don't know I just wasn't enamored by it but I will say that rookie police officer like I said she went through it that night and my god did she stand her ground Mm. whereas if it was me I would have been like fuck this you can take your job I'm this is not worth my job I'll see you later there is a point very early on where she rings the other police station the new police station and speaks to the captain the captain says is the police station on fire she says no and he says then why are you ringing me my response would have been to have set the police station on fire, I think. Yeah, Immediately and gone, after getting off the call and then going, yeah, it's on fire. Yeah, oh, sorry. It's, I don't know how it happened when you're holding <laughs> the canister behind your back, shrugging your shoulders. Yeah, uh, I didn't think she was a very strong actor either, which I thought was unfortunate because all of the action is framed around her. So I just didn't, I, I don't know. I thought she was okay. I'm going to no, disagree just, with you on that, I think. I don't know how we, I feel like we watched a different movie and I did actually watch it before anybody starts attacking me about how why would you watch why do you do film reviews if you don't even watch them I do try really hard and this one I actually did watch because there were elements of it that kept me gripped Mm. but I still don't I don't think it was out of this world so what would you give it out of five um, I gave it four out of five on Letterboxd, but I, I don't. I think that might have been a little bit over generous or I did it because I have really fat thumbs and I find it hard to do half a star on on letterbox fair yeah i feel that (laughs) so i may have done it accidentally i think i'm gonna go for three and a half i I did enjoy it and it may be that it's not as confusing as i think it is and i just missed a key moment but i was quite confused by the end not by the ending but by the end of the film i was still confused about certain aspects of it does that make sense yeah that does make sense Uh, i'm gonna give it a three because i wasn't enamored by it but fair play to them it was a low budget movie there were there were bits of it where I thought stop with the CGI when you're a low budget movie 
like the the kind of poltergeisty bits I think are way more effective in a low budget film and actually quite freaky and you can do a lot with them rather than trying to make it a Hollywood blockbuster when you don't have the budget so three for me I think and that brings us to our story today are we doing haunted police stations no we're not but kind of we're staying we're staying along those lines all right this topic was massively requested Okay. The last time I did a uh, what topics would you guys like to see? And it was also particularly requested by Matt from Full Movie Podcast again. And we're going to be looking at first responder paranormal stories. Oh, okay. So all of these stories are taken from Reddit. This will not be the last time that we visit this topic because there's just such a wealth of them out there. Some of these stories, as you can imagine, are quite violent, as in... You know, they're, they're being called out to maybe violent situations. Mm. They Some of them might not be very pleasant, but there's nothing in it that's overly gratuitous or unnecessarily so. Okay. 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 So just, just to give you the heads up. So we're going to be looking at a number of different stories. The links to every story is in the description. Are you ready? Mm, no. Story number one comes from KC135R on Reddit. I worked as a police officer in a small town in rural Nebraska. Back in the 90s, I was patrolling through town in winter. We had several abandoned houses in town, but one seemed to have the attraction of copper thieves, so we were told to keep an eye on it. I drove by it at around 7pm, since it sat on a corner lot. I had a clear view of all four sides of the house. As I drove around the corner, nothing looked out of the ordinary. About two hours later I drove by again and the back door is wide open. I know that the back door was not open when I drove by it earlier. Looking at the snow on the ground around the house there were no footprints. So I thought what the hell? I call dispatch and tell them I'm investigating an open door at that address and ask for a county sheriff to start my way. I walk to the open door, pull out my flashlight and shine it inside. The house has obviously been gutted for the most part. The plaster walls have been torn down, debris is piled everywhere. Since there were no footprints in the snow around the door other than mine and with all the dust on the floor not showing any footprints, I chalk it up to the wind or maybe the door just opened on its own. I was about to secure the door when I heard a loud thump come from upstairs and what sounded like kids laughing. So I enter the house and yell out, Police department, come downstairs! There are more sounds of kids playing. I tell dispatch that it sounds like there are kids in the house and start making my way through the kitchen into the living room where the stairs are, all the while cautiously checking the main floor. Two more times I hear something upstairs, but since I've had no response I start thinking that maybe it's an animal. Still, I hear what I swear was kids laughing. I head upstairs and it all gets quiet. The upstairs is relatively small with a hallway at the top of the stairs that has one bedroom on the right, one straight ahead at the end of the hall and a bedroom on the left. As I get to the top of the stairs I hear a thump in the bedroom to the left. I carefully peek around the door and it's an empty room with a small pile of plaster and wood debris in the middle. And no kidding, sitting on top of the pile of debris was a page torn out of a children's book with a picture of a police officer on it. The hair stood up on the back of my neck. I got out of that room, quickly cleared the other rooms upstairs and got the fuck out of there. 
I told dispatch that nobody was in the house, locked the back door and never went back there again. What's going on there? That's too weird. Like, I, I, my thought was right up until he heard stuff upstairs, I was like, well, that's clearly just the wind. Like old buildings, particularly if they're derelict, it only takes like the slightest of breeze. It's that door wasn't shut properly in the first place for it to blow open, doesn't it? Like, it's and if not... you and if you think that that house has been a target for people stripping it of wire and whatever, Absolutely. people people definitely would have kicked in that door yeah. numerous times. Yeah. So uh, that's that that part of the story doesn't really freak me out. No, no. The, the the lack of footprints in the snow would just suggest I would I wouldn't that wouldn't freak me out either. I might be freaked out if it was on if I was on patrol because I'd be thinking, oh, you know, this this could be an active thing where I come into contact with people and that's going to be an issue. But as soon as I realised that there was no nobody, like the house was derelict and I didn't hear anything and there was no footprints in the snow or just gone wind like he did. Well, they did rather. But then the noises upstairs could be an animal. Children noises, nope. You know how I feel about that. But how weird, like, even if that is a coincidence, like how weird is it that it's he heard children, or they heard children rather, and... It was a children's book page with a cop on it. It's just so strange. Oh, I can't deal with that. Can we chalk it up to coincidence? Probably. There's probably some sort of logical explanation for it. But the whole sequence of events yeah. together is just horrific. Yeah. I mean, it's an old house. So it's probably full of like stuff anyway. And that, that single piece of paper could have been there for like years. But it's just it's just the, all the factors that lead up to it just give you the chills, doesn't it? Yeah. It's mm. very scary. Oh. I said this when we watched the movie that... She does really well. The the police officer in the movie does so well. Like she's obviously she, she portrays the fact that she's frightened by repeating the oath they take as police officers to try and keep herself calm. And I was thinking, holy moly! Like police officers must end up in, and any first responders must end up in horrific, scary situations. Not even, never mind paranormal. And try to keep themselves going in that situation must be so hard. Yeah, I can do it. <laughs> Story number two comes from Miko underscore Miko. I remember my father telling me a story of when he was a police officer in New Hampshire. One night, dispatch gets a call from someone reporting to have seen a little girl wandering around a lake by herself. That night, my father was on duty and every available police officer responded to try and find this little girl. My father was the first to arrive with his partner As they exit their car, they slowly start to walk around the lake. As they near the water, my father's partner hits him on the shoulder and points towards the lake, and there stands this little girl. My father said when he turned to see her standing in the water, every hair on the back of his neck stood up on end. It was 2am, and in November, and it was very cold outside. He said she was in a white nightgown with no shoes standing in the water. They both looked at each other, knowing that something wasn't right about this situation. They report to dispatch that they'd found the girl. They walk a little closer, and my father kneels down and holds his arms out and calls for the girl to come to him. The little girl then turns her attention to my father and slowly starts to walk towards him from out of the water. As this is happening, another unit pulls up to witness this girl walking up to my father. Just as the little girl is within eight feet of my father, she disappears, and there was nothing left but tiny little footprints in the dirt. They all stand there in disbelief trying to figure out what happened, and one of the police officers turns and says, but how the fuck are we going to explain this? I guess you, 
you have to respond to that, don't you? Because if it is a real like if it's a real little girl running around a lake, like she's in a, she's in danger just from being close to the water at night time. So you've got to send all units. But then, oh, like to leave footsteps and disappear, and then to have other people witness it disappearing as well. At least you'd had other people there, though. That's the one saving yeah. grace of this story. Imagine if you were a police officer and you, you and your partner split up to find the girl and you're on your own and you see that happening. How would you explain it having been on your own? I just think you don't say anything. But you couldn't, <laughs> you also couldn't not say anything. You know, and, and the thing about this story is, is that they had already dispatched to say, yeah, we found her. We're going to go get her and whatever. Yeah. So then you suddenly don't have her. Yep. Like it's that is so oh. weird, and the, one of the the threads kind of in these stories about first responders is that they, you know, say if you've got somewhere where you get multiple calls from, you've got to keep going. Like you can't just go, oh, it's the haunted lake again. Oh, it's the the haunted little girl on the haunted lake. Never mind, because there might be that one time when it is a real yeah. Little the one girl. time you don't go is the time a little girl drowns in the lake. You know exactly, I mean? and yeah. That's what you don't want. So you obviously have to respond to it, but that's so creepy. It's the footprints as well that really gets me because I guess like there's got to be a certain level of energy to make footprints. Yes, but it's clearly not physical. Do you know what I mean? It's like a what well, it is. It's got to be physical to make footprints, but it's a ghost. Like, I don't understand how that works. Well, there must be as well. Like, if there wasn't footprints, is there a chance that they could all say? It was a trick of the light or, you know what I mean? Where they they, they try and rationalise it. But yeah. the fact that you see those footprints, you can't rationalise that away. Oh, no. And our third story is from SMW2102. I had a call to a residence for a mental evaluation for a 5150. Anyway, I get there and speak to a 50-something-year-old woman who states that her 20-something-year-old son is under the influence of an unknown drug and kept repeating that he can't go to his bedroom because there was an old man hanging in his room. She stated that she was too scared to go into his room and investigate it for herself, because he constantly brings over friends that are drug addicts, and she is unsure if the claims were true or not. I then go to speak to the son, who was clearly under the influence of a stimulant. He goes on to tell me that he was told by a spirit to not enter the bedroom because her father, dressed in his military Class A uniform, was hanging in there. I checked out the room and of course there was nobody there. As I'm in the middle of explaining to the mother that there was nobody in the bedroom, a veteran officer arrives on the scene to assist me. He pulled me aside and stated earlier in his career he responded to this residence and that same bedroom because he had to investigate a suicide by hanging of an older male subject. He didn't remember all the details so I looked it up in our report management system in my patrol car, and sure enough the officer was correct. The subject who died was a World War II veteran, and he had dressed in his military uniform and hung himself. In my mind, I always thought that when they purchased the home, possibly this incident was disclosed to them. However, I thought the mother would have mentioned it to me if it had been disclosed to her, but she was genuinely concerned about her son and the allegations. Seems to be some kind of logic to that in terms of what the son is seeing, but it makes you wonder, doesn't it? Like, and this isn't me condoning drug use, that's not what I'm saying, but it makes you wonder what it like, what part of your brain it opens up, doesn't it? Because it's very clearly, you know, 
tapped into something there or subconsciously knew that information already, one or the other. Yeah, and the drug use brought back that memory. But rather than it being a memory, it's the spirit of a girl is telling you not to go in the room. Yeah. But either way, it's pretty freaky, right? Yep, absolutely. And I'm guessing like the guy, <laughs> the guy must have been absolutely terrified because he's talking to spirits and there's a good chance that if he can, if he's talking to spirits, then he may well have been able to see the old man hanging. Like, Yeah. If yeah. he's in that, if he's in that drug addled state, he is hearing things. It's, yeah, there's a strong possibility he's also seeing things. I don't know if you, do you have to disclose if somebody's died in a house? I think we've had this conversation before. I think you. I think if you asked, you do. I think that's how it works. Like if someone says, "Did somebody die yeah, in this house?" You have to tell them. But then, like, I think it's more about mur- like it's more, it's more about crime, I think, isn't it, than people dying because people die in houses all the time. Yeah. Um, because that's where they live. Like people live in houses. That sounds really dumb, but do you know what I mean. Well, there's a high possibility yeah. if you live in a house. You spend most of your time there. You're likely to die there too. If we all lived in trees. There would be lots of people dying in trees, wouldn't there? Very lots of haunted trees. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I think you do. I think there's. I think it's. I think it might be violent crime or something. But I'm pretty sure you have to make a disclosure. But I feel like the officer that wrote the wrote the story probably you can gauge, can't you, if someone's genuinely scared? And that woman probably maybe she didn't know, but it's maybe the son subconsciously knew that information because someone in his friendship group told him or something like that do you know what I mean so maybe he did know but I tend to believe the officer's judgment on the woman and that she was scared yeah and especially if your son has a habit of bringing home other addicts to the house you don't know what's going to happen if you've got an addict two addicts in the house like you don't know she knows her own son but she doesn't know the people that he's bringing home and she may very rightly have been concerned that it was an actual person hanging yeah. in the rafters rather than I think that's what it that's yeah. that's what it sounds like she thought is yeah. that she didn't go into the room because she was afraid, oh my god, what if there is an actual yeah. person hanging? Yeah. And you know, it's the right thing to do, I guess. And especially, you know, her son is obviously an addict, so she'd be in some ways used to addict behaviour and the behaviour of somebody who is who has consumed a lot of class A drugs. Yeah. And then suddenly you're going, uh oh I don't know if this is real or not, and I'm not. I'm not the person that's going to find out. I'd be the same. I'd be like, do you know who's going to find out? A police officer, somebody whose job it is, yeah. because I'm not willing to to take that risk. Do you think there must have been a part of the officer that wrote his story? There must have been a part of him when the the older veteran officer comes in that like he was just tugging his chain. Do you know what I mean? Like just having a joke with him, like, oh, let's spook the younger officer into. I bet that happens. Yeah. loads in that kind of. Uh, in that kind of environment, in that kind of high pressure environment, yeah. that they do a lot of taking the piss out of the rookie police officers. But then checking the records and finding out that it's actually true is a bit like, okay. Because you'd like to think, oh, you check the records, nothing comes up, and you're like, oh, he's got me again. Yeah. You check the records, <laughs> the story checks out, and you're like, oh, I wish he'd got me again. <laughs> and our fourth story comes from Skellier. A friend's father is a police officer in one of the larger villages of Illinois. He and his partner were working the night shift when they were called to investigate a suspected break-in at the local morgue. They arrived to find the custodian waiting for them out front. The custodian said that he had been mopping one of the corridors and had seen something move in his peripheral vision. He looked up and saw a person quickly cross from one side of the hallway to the other. He couldn't tell much about the person as he'd been turning the lights off as he worked his way through the building. Just a dim outline but enough to be sure of what he had seen. 
He was unarmed, so he just called the police and stepped outside to wait. My dad's friend and his partner entered the morgue. They started off by calling out to anyone who might be inside and there was no answer. They began to do a sweep. Walking down the central corridor with their hands on their guns, checking each room to the side, occasionally calling out for any intruder to show themselves. My friend's dad came upon a room with the light off, pitch black inside. He fumbled for the switch and flicked it. The room lit up, nothing but an empty waiting room for relatives of the dead. And he heard his partner call out, Hey, stop, turn around. My friend's dad swung back out into the corridor and his partner had unholstered his gun, was pointing it at the end of the long corridor. He said, she went around that corner. The custodian said, she's trapped because there's no exits that way. They had the custodian lock himself in the waiting room for safety, then advanced down the corridor calling out to the woman to show herself that they wouldn't hurt her. This time my friend's dad reached the end first, and with his back to the wall peered around the corner. The woman was standing by a big grey door. The lights were off here too so it was hard to see her clearly but he could see that she wasn't holding a gun, had long fair hair. He stepped out from behind the corner to talk to her but she opened the door and disappeared into the dark inside and shut it firmly behind her. He sprinted up to the door and pulled at the handle. It was locked. He banged on it for a while and called out to her but there was no answer. The door had a deadlock on it, so his partner brought over the custodian to unlock it. They turned on their flashlights to see better. The custodian rounded the corner and faltered a little. This door? You're sure, but this door doesn't lock from the inside. The custodian found the right key and carefully turned it in the lock. It clicked. They warned the woman they were coming in and told her to have her hands up. They entered the room, flashlights illuminating every corner. The custodian hit the light switch and the room lit up. It was empty, except for some equipment against the wall and two gurneys in the middle of the room. One was empty, and one was covered in a sheet with what appeared to be a body underneath it. Nice hiding spot. My friend's dad approached, and it was the smell that first spooked him. It smelled like a corpse. He pulled the sheet down and there the woman lay, straggly light brown hair all around her face and the tag on her toe said she died four days ago. My friend's father is a devout Christian and doesn't believe in ghosts or the supernatural, even now, but he doesn't know what to make of this event. To be honest, uh, neither do I. That is I, terrifying. And as soon as you, <laughs> as soon as you started the story and you said... It was in a morgue and the custodian had called because he'd seen someone running around in the morgue. I was like, oh, I'm not going to enjoy this at all. Not going to enjoy this. I don't think this story is real. Okay. Because I don't think a corpse would be not refrigerated in the morgue. Oh, fair point. Unless the whole room was a refrigerated room. Well, they often have morgues in basements as well, which is why they're double scary. Yeah. <laughs> because it's cooler underground, isn't it? Yeah. Deeper underground. Um but yeah, I just can't get on with this. I it freaks me out because I feel like it happens all the time. What bodies rising up and running around the morgue? No, not bodies. Like spirits of dead people because that's the the place where they go, don't they? So if you die suddenly and your spirit doesn't clock it, 
See, I think the morgue is like the last place that I'd haunt. No, it's not like a permanent haunting. It's just like a... Oh, you think they're just legging it around? What? Because they, they're like, oh shit, where am I? Yeah, there's oh, like that moment. Oh shit, I'm dead. I reckon it must be a momentarily... Particularly if you die suddenly, if you're not like... You never know one expects to die. But if you die without... I don't know how to word it, but if if there, there's probably some deaths that cause you cause the spirit to like take a minute, <laughs> does that make sense? No, that makes perfect sense. Like especially if you've got like young people who die suddenly. Yeah, I was saying to I recorded an episode with Ollie yesterday of for the History Emporium Pals um, podcast, and I was talking about graveyards and just thinking that actually you know probably graveyards the 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 stick that they get for being really haunted places is probably a bit off as we've said before because you know that's where people are laid to rest properly do you know what i mean like whether yeah. that whether you think that's the like depending on obviously what the denomination of the, the graveyard is is still going through that ritual of laying people to rest so i think it's highly unlikely that those places are haunted but for a morgue that's what just where the body is in that moment do you know what i mean so it's, this is the first place it's well one of the first places it's taken to once it's died and you just think there's probably still some lingering stuff going on there i don't know so while i have like reservations about this story i still thought it was a great story it's terrifying because it's terrifying and it has very much because i've played you know resident evil in a not so recent past no not so distant past rather it's definitely got resident evil vibes to it because it's running around with guns out in the darkness yeah it does (laughs) i can't play resident evil is one of the games that i just cannot and will not play scares me too much number five comes from dtns 13 i've been in law enforcement for nearly six years and i've had a few supernatural things occur during my shifts The most recent one came from a 911 hang-up call. I was riding two-man on a summer night and it was probably around 2 or 3 a.m. when we got a call for a 911 hang-up. The only call comments was that the call was placed to 911 and upon answering, the person hung up. When dispatch attempted to call the number back, no one answered. The area in which I was working this night, I've basically spent my whole career in. There aren't a lot of streets that I've yet to respond to. However, the address this call came in from, they use GPS coordinates to find the closest location since the caller hung up. I'd never been to it. I'd driven past this road many times, but never actually received a call from it. We pull up to this old dirt road, and it has a metal chain going across the entrance with a sign that says no trespassing. Because we have to figure out what's going on, my partner and I continue on foot along this dirt gravel road. The road is maybe 100 yards long, The shitty part was that on each side of the road was a tall chain-link fence. Why this was crappy was because now my partner and I were walking down a fatal funnel. If there happened to be a guy waiting for us at the end of the road with, let's just say, an assault rifle, we would have no place to take cover. Thankfully, this didn't happen. We eventually reached the end of the road and there were two houses on each side. At first, we believe one of these houses is where the 911 call came from. As I'm shining my flashlight at one of the houses, I see a figure moving from inside. Instantly, I'm like, oh, people actually live back here, as I thought for sure the houses were going to be vacant. Shortly after, a man and a woman walk outside and ask us what's going on. I tell them that we receive a 911 hang-up call from address 123 Main and ask if they had called. The man tells us his address is 124 Main and the one across the street is 125 Main, which he says is vacant. He proceeds to tell us that number 123 is basically in the middle of these tall weeds or a forest looking area just north of his house. 
He says the house is vacant and run down and can only be reached on foot. I asked him how far away the house is, and he said it's probably a couple of football fields away. Now, while all this walking investigating was going on, we had received two more 911 hang-up calls from the same address with the same result. Before we made this trek out into the middle of the woods, we called for another car, and eventually another two-man unit responded. The four of us now wandered out into the woods. Two of us, with our assault rifles out, followed barely a beaten path where we assumed we would find the house. Fighting spiderwebs and low-hanging tree branches, we eventually reached our destination. I'm terrible at describing things, but this house was straight out of any horror movie you want to imagine. It was run down, it had a tree that had fallen through the middle and had now become incorporated with the house throughout the years. The house was nearly falling apart and was completely overgrown by greenery. Having come this far, we decided to continue on even though we were pretty sure the house would be vacant. After fighting through some thick brush, we find our entrance. We each have to climb over some fallen brick walls and other wooden shit before we actually make an entry. My biggest fear at this point is this stupid rotten house collapsing on itself and being trapped inside with no one being able to find us. We searched the entire house, and like we thought, there was no one inside. And when I say we searched the entire house, I mean the entire house. Nothing was left unchecked. Feeling satisfied, we all climb our way back out of the bullshittery and start heading back towards where the two original houses were. As we walk back, dispatch radios and tells us they received another 911 hang-up call coming from the same address. This time, dispatch tells us they were able to make a call back, and when the person answered, they could hear what sounded like a child playing on the phone. The four of us looked at each other and decided we were done with this call. We'd done everything we could up to that point, and we were not about to get called back into a possibly demon house because a child was on the phone. We clear the call and don't receive any more 911 hang-up calls for the rest of the night. Fast forward maybe six months and it's dead-ass cold winter. 911 hang-up from the same address. This time it's me and three guys who weren't there previously. I tell them the story of what happened and all three are super psyched and want to check it out. The four of us walk back out to this house, now much easier to get to since the cold had killed off a lot of the greenery. The three of them decide to go into the house. I wait outside, as I had already had my fun. They don't make it too far once they realise this house is about to collapse in on itself. We all leave again, and there was no call back from a child this time. I know at this point, 117 episodes in, it seems a little bit far-fetched and a never-ending list, but (laughs) along with dolls and child ghosts, technology calls from ghosts, Always is another thing that freaks me the heck out. I am not a fan. I just don't understand how this thing happens. Like, it's got to be some kind of logically, it's got to be some kind of crossed, not cross wire, but some kind of cross connection, isn't it? That's that's got to be what's doing it. Yeah. But I don't understand how you can have repeated hang-ups from a house that clearly probably doesn't have an active phone line and is in ruin. Like, I don't get it. But this seems to be a common occurrence, right? Remember we talked about mm. it in the episode of Ugh. the Japanese tsunami? Yep. We've talked about it in episodes from where for where fire firemen have written in and said this has happened where we get multiple call outs to the same address and we actually know there's nothing there or there was a house there and it burnt down like that. Yeah, it seems oh, to no. be bizarrely common. I don't like it though, I just because it feels 
even and again this is making me sound ridiculous but it feels even less controllable than the other ghost stuff do you know what i mean like i feel like there's nothing you can do about this if a ghost wants to call you on the phone it's gonna call you on the phone maybe it's because it's inescapable yeah you know with a if you if you catch a glimpse of a ghost in your house you can talk it out of existence whereas if somebody's blowing up your phone Oh, no, There's little you can do. I just, I can't handle it. There's so many things I can't handle, but I can't handle this at all. I don't like ghostly phone calls. I'm just so happy that I get so many telemarketing calls on my mobile phone that I can just put down any missed calls. Just like, I know it's a telemarketer. I don't have to worry about that. Whew. Number six comes from S Dadbod 31 <laughs> I was a deputy sheriff for 13 years. And the majority of that time I worked in a large jail with a big population. I was a team leader of the tactical response team that roamed the hallways and responded to all the emergencies that would arise. Not just fights, but medical emergencies too. We had a set of cells in the admissions area that were isolation cells for the inmates who just got there and had problems, either mentally or physically. I responded one night to a guy who took off his pants and tried hanging himself in the cell. He had a really good attempt and had to be rushed to hospital. When we reviewed the camera footage to assist with our report, all you see was him standing quietly in the cell for minutes, staring down the camera. The camera glitched out, and when it came back on, he was hanging in his cell. The next three days in the same cell we had similar incidents. One guy was successful in completing suicide. But every time we would watch the tapes, the guy would be standing there watching the camera minutes before the attempt, and then the camera would glitch. To this day, cell 3 still freaks me out, and it makes me think there was an entity in that cell causing people to complete suicide. I just want to make an announcement before we discuss that story, that if you can hear shuffling or purring, it's because Bimmy has climbed up Dan's leg mid-recording and has planted herself firmly on his knee. And is is not going to go anywhere else. So you're just going to have to deal with it. That was a very unnerving story. Like something from a movie. Yeah. It gives sort of oppressive spirit vibes really, doesn't it? And that kind of narrative that they often give for things like that. I mean, I don't think it's really fair to attribute it to anything without any more sort of knowledge. But it does seem strange, doesn't it? And I and I think as well, if you are, though he said earlier in the story that those cells were specifically for inmates who had mental health issues or were ill. So actually the, the rate of people attempting suicide in those cells is going to be much higher mm. than in your standard holding cell. So I don't think it's particularly surprising, but I think having the same pattern emerge a number of times must be really alarming. Yeah. I think it's just all that. St- I, part, I'm, I'm quite cynical about this one. I'll be honest with you. I feel interesting. Like, I feel like those things probably did happen in that cell for the reasons you said, and I think that the security footage is fabrication. Potentially, I feel like it just adds to the to their theory behind why that reoccurrence is happening. I mean, these stories come from Reddit. It could be anybody yeah. writing these stories. And it's just like, it's very movie trope, isn't it? To have someone staring down this camera and then the camera cut out for no reason. And suddenly they're hanging or whatever else. Yeah, I'm, I'm very sceptical about this. I have no doubt that there are cells in prisons that probably have a higher rate, but it's for the reason that you're saying. 
we did a um patreon episode about this before there is a room in the seminary in Maynooth that was sealed off because a number of priests had taken their own lives in that room and there were concerns about whether or not it was like an atmosphere in the room or that it was mirrors (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i mean some some places have atmospheres and undoubtedly prisons have atmospheres yeah i just i don't i'm not i'm not putting a lot of weight behind this to be honest with you no me neither interestingly me neither but i just thought it was a good story that is a good story it's got it it's got like you said it's got movie vibes to it hasn't it and actually it reminds me there is a cell in in alcatraz that's supposed to have like a a thing in it yes yeah. i think i've seen it on like ghost adventures yeah and i've been in it oh you've been in the cell <laughs> yeah did you feel like it had a thing in it it's really hard to experience anything in alcatraz because of the sheer volume of people that are there with you oh like like when you went to the shanghai tunnels yeah. like there's just so many people yeah and uh, we you know we actually both times i went that sounds like a humble brag, but it's not. Um, <laughs> Definitely is. <laughs> Both times I went, we went on days that were really sunny. One of them was like super windy, but the other day was like a, a brilliant autumn warm day. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like still and everything. So you've got, you know, in all of those cells, as dark and as dingy as it is, you've got brilliant sunlight coming in from the main windows and you've got loads of tourists walking around nattering with their headphones on. Do you know what I mean? It's very, I'd love to do an overnight at Alcatraz. Would you? Yeah, that's, that's unusual for you to say because you always say, I'd love to go during the day, but I don't want to go overnight. No, I'd like to do it. I'd like to do an overnight in Alcatraz and I'd like to do a private tour of the Shanghai Tunnels. They're two things I'd like to do because I believe that both of those places have something, something residual energy or whatever. And I'd, I'd like to go when it's when it's a bit easier to experience something. <laughs> and number seven comes from Daring. It's Daring Doki. I, always thought, I thought it was Daring Donkey, but this is such a weird story that I knew you'd love it. Okay. Not law enforcement, but I am a paramedic. Late summer night, responding to a call in a rural area. My partner and I were driving down a winding two-lane highway in the middle of nowhere. There was no light of any kind other than the headlights and the moon. We were coming up on a sharp right turn when I see a man travelling across the grass from an area of brush. He was moving very quickly and smoothly as if he was hauling ass on a bicycle. There was no up and down motion like running. Obviously, I was pretty confused about a person on a bike in the middle of the night, but I wasn't surprised. He came to a tree and stopped. It was about this time that we were driving by him. I look out the window and see a man standing next to this tree, with no bike or no vehicle in sight, just standing there, staring at the truck passing by. My hair stood up on end. We continued towards the call and I asked my partner if he had seen that guy. And his response was, Man, I thought I was crazy. I'm not having that. I don't just It's just creepy, isn't it? It's very skinwalkery. Oh, yeah, it's very skinwalkery. And I also don't... I also feel like, again, for you, I know having someone else see it would have been a great boost because you don't like that idea of not being believed. But for me, it's confirmation and I don't... I, no can't handle it i can't so what do you think it was because is it a possibility that this this man i mean they referred to him in the story as a hillbilly but i decided to change that language a little bit so is there a possibility this man was on roller skates or how was he moving so quickly without any up and down movement like a like rolling does i feel like you might have 
answered your own question right at the start. Roller skates. No, skimwalkery. Oh, <laughs> I thought I was like, roller skates? Really exciting. Do you know what? In my head, I've got a wonderful visual. I've got, there was a wrestler in the 80s called Hillbilly Jim. And I've got him, who is this big, you know, big, tall, beefy guy on roller skates. And it's quite a good, it's a good picture. That is a good picture. Yeah. And you remember, what you call it, the Winchester, what was that film called? Was it called Winchester? Yeah. And she's just rollerblading around the house randomly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah there's a lot there's a lot you can achieve at roller blades so yeah. or roller skates depending I, on which it is do you know what I, when you read it to me i'm kind of i was i was freaked out but now i'm kind of hopeful that it was just you know someone that lived in the in the woods in the countryside just enjoying roller skates yes in the middle of the night yeah, which is not? the best time to enjoy roller skates yeah because it's less embarrassing isn't it if you uh, like go sorry when are roller skates ever embarrassing no i haven't finished don't cut me off mid-sentence i said if you go arse over tear it's less embarrassing oh, because there's nobody there to watch you see i thought you meant roller yeah, skates were embarrassing I'm not, I, I'm not a roller gate roller gate <laughs> i'm not a roller skate hater you better not be not I'm on not. this podcast i'm very jealous of people that can do it because i know that i do not have the coordination to pull it off and i actually think it's a good way of getting around yeah i'm quite um i'm i'm seeing a rise in when i'm in town people going around like adults in business suits on those little motorized scooters and stuff and i'm kind of here for it i wasn't for a long time but now i'm kind of here for it got one more story oh my gosh i don't know if i can handle anymore and this last story i'm just gonna give a warning that it is quite violent and it talks about violence against women it also references sexual assault just so people are aware and if you, if that's not for you, turn off now. Don't worry, we won't be offended. So this story comes from Matt Newbie 4 I'm a detective and spent some time as an expert on sex crimes and crimes against children. It was the best and worst assignment I've ever had. One case I had came in at midnight. A young woman with a toddler came into one of the precincts to report that her ex-boyfriend had assaulted her during a custody argument. Long story short, it was legitimate and one of the most violent and sadistic cases I've ever had, so I'll spare the gruesome details. I still have no idea how this woman made her own way to a precinct with a toddler. Part of the investigation requires me to talk to the toddler. The victim had said that the toddler was present for everything. I'm a child forensic interviewer as well. During the interview, the toddler recalls their father becoming angry and hitting their mom. Then the toddler said that the nice woman showed up and she couldn't see past the nice woman. The nice woman held her and told her that they were both going to be safe and sang her a song in a different language. The toddler said the nice woman went over to the front door and knocked on the door and then the nice woman helped them and their mom to the car before flying away. In the victim's interview she said that her ex-boyfriend had a knife to her throat and put it to the skin to cut her open but he got distracted for some reason and ran out of the apartment and she had no explanation as to why. The suspect was caught about eight hours later and he confessed to absolutely everything. When I asked him about the knife to the throat, he said that he was just about to kill her but then he heard a knock at the door and thought it was the police. But once he saw it was clear, he decided to run away instead. He is now serving life in prison and the mom and the toddler are safe and doing well. And I would love to know more about the nice woman. That's an, almost an angelic interruption, isn't it? It's that kind of thing. When you hear stories about angels, they're the kind of things that they're doing, aren't they? And just for that, 
whatever it was protected that child from seeing something really horrific. So it got the argument. They didn't see anything else. And literally physically created a distraction to save the mother's life. Now you could, some might argue that that is a internal coping mechanism from the child. So something that's inbuilt that they create a distraction from something that's traumatic, but it just seems so specific. And then for it to be corroborated by the perp portrayer themselves to say that they heard the knocking, it's just incredible. I included that story despite the fact that it was really violent because, I mean, it's horrific what happened, but it had a happy ending in that he went to prison, the mum and the kid were fine, but I just was so blown away by it. If it had just been, like you said, the kid said he saw a nice woman who protects them, I'd be like, okay, that kid in some way dissociated to protect themselves from seeing a horrific thing, but it's the knock on the door knocking like so the toddler said the nice lady went and knocked on the door and then the perp was like and then there was a knock on the door and it freaked me out and i thought it was the police so i ran yeah never said never said anything about seeing it himself no heard it It heard the knock knock on the door yeah it just it that one just blew my mind blew my mind and like I, i can imagine that person working in that area of crime has seen some pretty horrific things and that that i just feel like that is the type of story that that you hold on to when you're working in that kind of environment. I think those kind of intervention stories are actually quite common. It would be interesting to see or to hear how many, not similar stories, because I think that is quite unique, but how many cases he's come across where something like that has happened. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's an interesting story or an interesting concept, really, especially in that line of work. Mm. Because there's so much trauma that happens in, in like, if you're dealing with sex crimes and you're dealing with crimes against children. I mean, that is a tough line of work. And you'd wonder, yeah, I wonder if he, if it's maybe not as dramatic as that one, but maybe it's relatively common that that kind of thing happens. Do you remember we had that story a while back when it was someone driving and they heard a relative's voice or something telling them not to take that turn or to slow down or to change lanes or something yes. like that. And then it resulted in them missing something. Yes, it was a drunk driver. Yeah. And there was also Amy's story. Do you remember where she kept hearing a man, a man's voice, a northern man? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who looked after her a number of times. Yep. Like that story stayed with me. Yeah. For ages. It just, it's creepy, but super positive. Do you want one more? Have you got one more? I've got one more. Okay. Okay, so the last one comes from somebody called Arthur Rigsby. And it is from police1.com. And I'll leave the link in the description. One year, our department started receiving complaints of headstones being knocked over in the city cemetery around Halloween. The chief advised us on the midnight shift to spend our extra time around the cemetery to catch the person or the people causing the damage. Me being sneaky, I found a good hidden observation point about a block away. There were two major well-lit streets providing fair lighting in the cemetery. For several nights, I would from time to time stop and check the cemetery with my binoculars and only patrol the cemetery at the start and end of my shift, as usual. One time, checking the cemetery, I spotted something that looked like a cat walking on its hind legs. I watched it walk approximately 10 feet between headstones and then lost sight of it. 
I rushed over to the area in my patrol car, turning on my spotlight, alley lights and takedown lights. Couldn't find a thing, but a track through the dew of the grass that dead ended at a headstone. To this day, I can remember how it moved and its outline in my binoculars. It was creepy. I'm an avid hunter and I've done plenty of hunting at night. I'm very familiar with all the animals in my neck of the woods and I have never seen anything like it. Like a bit of a cryptid story, you know that, so I said we'd end on that one. I wonder what it was. Very mysterious. I liked that story. I thought it was a kind of a a nice, easy, cryptidy one yeah. to end on. I thought when you first started talking about it, I thought we were going to get a ghost cat story, which is obviously very cool. Yes, that's what everybody wants. Except that's not what he thought it was, is it? Clearly. No, he clearly thought it was an animal. Yeah. Because he goes on to talk about how he's a hunter and blah, 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 blah. Doesn't know what it was. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting, right? I mean, it would explain why headstones would be knocked over. Because cats are notorious for knocking over headstones. Well, just creatures, aren't they? Like, they're not really bothered about what's in their way. If it's in their way, though, then they can move it. They'll move it. No, they don't necessarily have a reverence for the dead. No. <laughs> so, yeah, that. Oh, I wonder what it is. And it only appears on Halloween, though. Do, 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 do. I love it. Hmm. If you enjoyed this week's episode, you can find everything you need to know about us on reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. You can send in your own spooky story to Podcast at gmail.com. You can support us on Patreon. That is patreon.com forward slash stories, where for $5 a month or $2 a month, you get access to heaps of extra content. And on that note, we shall see you next week. Bye.